The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Inspire FM, the Ask Your Lawyer segment. My name is Esther Olasahinde from Liberty Law Solicitors, and today we're going to be discussing a topic that has, I would personally say, rocked our community and devastated um, our community. And it's something that's being discussed um, around the whole world. It's in regards to the New Zealand terrorist attack. Um, as this is the Ask Your Lawyer show, we are going to try and incorporate how it affects us here in the UK as a community and legally. Um, so I would like to introduce our guest who is in the studio, um, Rahana Faisal, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Asalaamu uh, Alaikum. Um, I'm Rahana Faisal. Um, I do quite a bit of work locally around um, Islamophobia through the Council of Mosques and um, a Muslim women's group that I chair called Lantern. Thank you. And we also have some callers in. Um, we have Wayman Bennett. He is um, part of Stand Up to Racism UK. Are you there, Mr. Bennett? Uh, hello, hello. Yeah, hello, yes. Hi, how are you? I'm very, very good. Thank very, you very, very much good. for joining us on the no, show. Thank you very much for inviting me. No problem. Um, I'm going to be referring to everyone in the studio, but feel free to ask questions, feel free to interject, because um, yeah. I know you're on the hotline at the moment. Um, yeah. We also should have Safina Khan of MK Solicitors and also Andrew Taylor of Church Court Chambers. They might be calling in earlier, um, later on um, in the show. So let's just start off. Um, basically, people may say that, you know, this happened in New Zealand. Why are we talking about it? Well, we cannot deny that racism is alive and kicking in the UK, around the whole world. We cannot deny that Islamophobia is alive and kicking, um, especially in this country. So um, I'd like to just say, how does your role, um, Mr. Bennett, in um, as Stand Up to um, Racism UK, how do you fight racism on a daily basis? I think the most important thing is to expose it and mobilise both the community mm -hmm. and stop the mobilisation of the far right, mm -hmm. normalising Islamophobia, racism and anti-Semitism into the main discourse, yes. which I think, um, and exposing the media when they put a false narrative mm -hmm. about what's taking place in our, in our society. Mm -hmm. I think um, we've witnessed this for a long time. Ever since Tommy Robinson or Stephen Yoxley has been presented as a politician, yeah. together with UKIP, we've, we've seen a growth of these kind of problems. Mm -hmm. um, and I refer particularly to the murder of Mohammed Salim, yes. uh, who was killed in Birmingham, and how he's the person he wasn't described as a as, as a racist mm. or far right terrorist, mm -hmm. because that, those words were, I think, designated for other groups. Whereas mm -hmm. the miss narrative has actually missed a lot of the growth of Islamophobia, which I think is part of the main racism which is done. We, we marched with 25,000 people yeah. um, trying to highlight this, and there was very little press coverage. Mm -hmm. um, actually, to be honest, we marched in 60 countries. Oh, wow. Um, and I think there's an enormous grassroots movement that accepts there's something to be done, mm -hmm. but I think the mainstream establishment and parts of the media and the mainstream politicians have um, actually, they're not the same as the far right, but they've been enabled an, an atmosphere that's been very difficult to, to, to challenge it, to be mm -hmm. honest. And mm -hmm. Down to Racism is committed to building a mass movement that, that, that does that. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll, we'll talk more about the media um, and how they do push a certain agenda. I'd like to just throw that question to Rahana regarding um, your role, especially um, as the... Um, Luton Council of Mosques, how do you battle Islamophobia and racism and discrimination? It's a really, really difficult um, battle. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 I, and I say battle, battle because mm -hmm. um, I think those of us who, particularly at grassroots levels, are having to have these conversations on a daily basis, mm -hmm. it is physically... Um, and emotionally stressful mm -hmm. um, and it takes its toll on us. How do we battle it? I don't want to say we failed, but I, I feel like we failed. Mm. It's something that we talk about regularly, um, as as the the caller has just said. Um, 
we we we've hit we, we're hitting a wall every single time mm-hmm. because there is an unwillingness to acknowledge its existence mm-hmm. um we had actually in the town center today um a a vigil for yes. for the for the victims of um of the terrorist attack on Friday. Mm-hmm. And the theme that we hear quite often is talking about kind of all forms of extremism as a, and our opposition mm. to all forms of extremism. And whilst I stand by that, I think there's an unwillingness to acknowledge the reality of this particular brand of extremism, yes. which isn't on sitting on the fringes of society. Mm-hmm. It's not something that, you know, that we've got these really extreme people that are just out there somewhere in the, you know, in the darkness of the world um, propagating these really negative ideas. Mm-hmm. This is a very mainstream narrative yeah. that sits in our very comfortably within our newspapers, mm-hmm. sits very comfortably and openly on our state-funded TV channels, um, it's implemented mm-hmm. through policy and practice. Exactly. So the prevent strategy has been criticised time and time again, mm-hmm. and I think actually by stand up to racism um, regularly. Um, so it's an idea that's very, very mainstream and embedded mm-hmm. in who we are as a nation. And one of the things, again, that I've heard a lot of over the past weekend, this is not who we are. Yeah. You know, we stand opposed to this, but I'm actually the reality is this is very exactly much who, who we are. Mm-hmm. It's very mainstream. Mm-hmm. And our inability to acknowledge it is actually the barrier to us doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when we talk about what are we doing to combat it, yeah. Our struggle remains, at the moment still, is acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. It's how do we get people to acknowledge its reality, mm-hmm. even post 51 people dying. Yeah. We are still having to bat off this idea that, well, this is a, a result of the behaviour of some Muslims. Mm-hmm. We are still having to, you know, apologise. Mm-hmm. We're, we're still having that same narrative. We're still having a level of victim blaming mm-hmm. that's being um, levied at us. Mm-hmm. So there, therein lies the challenge. We can't dismantle it until it's acknowledged. Mm-hmm. OK, and I've just been informed that we have Andrew Taylor um, on the phone. Hello, Andrew, how are you? Very well indeed. And how are you, Esther? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for calling in. Just to tell the um, audience, this is Andrew Taylor of Church Court Chambers. Now, Andrew, we were just talking, um, just a brief introduction. Um, we have Rahana Faisal on the, in the studio, and we also have Wayman Bennett of Stand Up to Racism UK. And we were just discussing the recent events of the um, New Zealand terrorist attack and how, as a community, especially the Muslim community, how we can combat Islamophobia and hate crime. Now, I'm just going to go into briefly discrimination. Um, Is that something you can advise us on? Because I personally feel that the uh, the Equality Act doesn't really protect um, this sort of hate speech, this sort of crime. It's not something they can rely on. Would you, what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, first of all, the events out in Christchurch, Mm -hmm. I think they shook the world. It just wasn't involving New Zealand. I think the whole world has literally had to sit up and listen and understand Mm -hmm. what is going on out there because uh, no right-thinking member of any society would be any less than appalled Mm -hmm. by the way in which this attack was perpetrated. I think in terms of this country, we have moved forward in some regards to do with the criminal conduct and the criminal code that we have, because, mm-hmm. of course, it's only in very recent years that we've had racially aggravated offences. Yes. When I qualified at the bar, they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. We now have racially aggravated assault mm-hmm. and racially aggravated other offences mm-hmm. where the penalties are increased because, of course, Parliament and the courts and this country say, well, we will not tolerate any crime that is based on race mm-hmm. or race hatred and, of course, even crimes that are not race crimes of themselves. Yes. Very often the penalties are increased if there's a racial element to it. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, a person is raped or if a person is attacked because of their perceived membership mm-hmm. of a group or a religion, then, of course, those sentences are invariably much harder than they would have been if that aggravating feature wasn't there. Yes. So I think, you know, we have made strides in terms of the way in which the criminal courts operate. Mm -hmm. I think events like Christchurch are very, very difficult 
for anyone, I think, to contemplate. And I was very surprised this morning, listening to a very, very erudite councillor from Christchurch on the radio saying that the whole community has come forward there. Young people in particular have taken to the streets. They've come out as a community, not a Muslim community, but mm-hmm. a community across the board mm-hmm. to support what is going on. And then, of course, the person who supplied this man with the semi-automatic weapon that allegedly was used for the killing of these people mm-hmm. said that although he deprecated the attacks, he would nevertheless sell the weapon again. And I think the one big problem they've got in, in uh, New Zealand yes. is the fact that members of the public can still buy semi-automatic weapon. Mm-hmm. The only way that semi-automatic weapons, in my mind, should be supplied to anyone mm-hmm. are to recognise armed forces and are not sold to members of the public to perpetrate horrendous attacks like the ones we've seen. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to that because you mentioned something um, about the progress that we've made. I just want to um, put this to Rahana because I know that obviously you've been a part of this struggle. I just want to ask, do you feel that even though the law has changed, do you feel like it's actually being utilised? Well, I, th- I think the real struggle is, is just, again, articulating what what Islamophobia looks and its impact on us. Mm-hmm. So, is it Andrew? Sorry. Yes, I did, Andrew. Um, so, Andrew talks about the law in terms of when a crime is committed and violent crimes and how, when those are racially aggravated. Mm-hmm. I think the real problem, the real difficulty we have is how we get there. Mm-hmm. Where we get to this stage of violent crimes, people recognise racism. Yeah. What we are not getting is all the stuff that happens in between. Mm-hmm. All the ways that Islamophobia and other types of racism impact on our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Um, The normalisation of the kind of speech that legitimises this kind of Mm behaviour, that actually encourages this kind of behaviour. So if we have, say, for for example, and I'll give real examples, Mm -hmm. our national newspapers calling refugees floating in the sea, dead Mm -hmm. refugees floating in the sea, cockroaches, Mm -hmm. what you have there is, and I, I described it, over the weekend as this and if some people may like it and some people don't but when you have those kind of narratives propagated through our media mm-hmm. through our through our tv through our major radio stations what you have there is a mandate for murder mm. that's what you have mm-hmm. that's when you dehumanize human beings mm. and you make them something less than that and actually do you know somebody told me that's quite a radical way of thinking i don't think it is mm. i think this has happened in history time and time again just our refusal to 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 draw those lines mm-hmm. That is that is the problem. I don't think what I'm saying is particularly radical. Um, what we have is a discourse in this country about people of colour, mm-hmm. about Muslims in particular, mm-hmm. that dehumanises, that um, paints as the enemy within, mm-hmm. that we're painted as this existential sort of threat to the rest of civilization mm-hmm. that that encourages people out there mm-hmm. to think in a particular way. Yeah and legitimises certain types of behaviour. Mm-hmm. What do we do about that? Mm-hmm. How do we dismantle that? Mm-hmm. How do we look at the discrimination that occurs every day mm-hmm. and recognise it and call it out? Mm-hmm. And how do we get the law to deal with that? Mm-hmm. And I know that's not easy. Mm-hmm. I know that's not an easy thing in terms of the law. Um, we, we, we haven't managed to do it even just in simple terms of looking at at racism of old, yeah. let alone these new manifestations okay. of mm-hmm. it. Um, but that, that that's the work that really needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I will come back to you, Andrew, regarding um, Rahana's response. I just wanted to ask um, Mr. Bennett, in regards to, because I believe there was a march that took place on the weekend um, in regards to um, what happened in New Zealand. My question is, what results have you seen from the work that, Stand Up to Racism UK has um, achieved? What results have well, you... Can you well, I, I think centrally involving the Muslim community as part of the the um, struggle is, is central. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that um, Muslim women have spoken and led and helped organise the march mm-hmm. means that the portrayal of them has also been challenged. I think also mm-hmm. the fact that a lot of Islamophobia comes from the top. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. talking about Boris Johnson referring to um, Muslim women who choose to dress in a particular way mm. that has been let, uh, letterboxes mm-hmm. or 
bank robbers. I'm talking about a Muslim ban put in by Donald Trump, the president mm-hmm. of the United States, which was referred to in the manifesto, which the, which the um, terrorist um, spoke about. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about people like Jared Batten, who described Islam as evil, but stands on a political platform on Newsnight saying this and is not properly challenged yeah. by the people that speak. All these things, if somebody got up and said the Jewish community was evil, or the black community was evil, mm. I think they would, they would be properly charged with incitement to racial hatred. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a kind of, that allows, the new racisms allow the older racisms to become more and more normalized. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've done, I think which is very important, is that thousands of people have started to be organized. And I'm hoping that together, by bringing all those voices together and challenging the, um, the norm that's been presented, uh, sorry, the, race, the racist kind of ideas that have been themes that have been incorporated into society. Mm-hmm. I think that we have, we're talking about a, a large reservoir of both actually Muslim, non-Muslim, black and white, of people who are worried about this. Mm-hmm. And I just think we have to put a line in the sand now because yeah. France is our warning. What's happening in France now is warning. If you let it grow, it ends up with armed police mm. telling women on the beach to take their clothes off mm. or, to be honest, the banning of Muslim rappers and poets from being able to perform because the National Front or the National Rally say it's offensive Mm. because you allow this to be normalised and then the far right take um, advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I just want to um, put a question to um, Andrew uh, regarding what Harahana said and also regarding what you said with, um, you know, you said we've come, I wouldn't say a long way, but we've come... We've we've taken some steps we've forward. Made progress. That, that's the point. Yes, that progress. Yes. Over the last twenty or thirty years. Yes. I think some of the comments that have made, of course, are absolutely appropriate. But I think there's an even bigger problem here when people start talking about the newspapers and the television. And mm. um, with all major newspapers and with most television and radio stations, mm-hmm. there is editorial control of to some extent. Yes. I think the biggest fear I have at the moment are the people who can post things on the internet, and Mm. we know this happened in Christchurch, Mm -hmm. because, of course, many years ago, the only people who could really get through to the public were the newspaper barons, the people who owned radio stations, Mm -hmm. and the people who owned television companies, along with the BBC. Mm -hmm. Now, a person from his or her own bedroom can stream and can send out all sorts of horrific footage racist messages, all sorts of things, Mm -hmm. without any check, without any editorial control. And I think that is an even bigger threat Mm -hmm. than the threat we have coming from mainstream uh, media outlets. Mm -hmm. And I know that's happened out in New Zealand. And I think one of the things that must happen, both in Britain and in other countries, over the course of the next, certainly the next few months, if not the next 12 months, Mm -hmm. is we must have a tightening up of the type of material and the nature of the material that people are able to put out there. Because Mm. we all know there are young and vulnerable people out there who are very easily impressed sometimes, who are very easily sucked into a particular message. And that's something that I would hate to see happen because I don't think people should be able to put out there very, very graphic, offensive, upsetting images for all sorts of different reasons. And, of course, that's one of the problems that they've had now in the aftermath of these terrible shootings in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just want to, I want to put the um, question forward to all of you, so please feel free to um, interject um, to share your opinion. Um, do you feel like there is a different threshold when it comes to, a criminal threshold when it comes to incriminating um an individual due to hate speech or discrimination or um, even hate crime. Because from what I've seen working, we have a lot of complaints, um, you know, against public bodies, against the police, um, against legal forces regarding, you know, Schedule 7 stops, stop and search. And I personally feel that there is some sort of abuse of power um, in order to incriminate a certain type of you know, creed of people. Whereas when incidences like um, the, uh, what's it called? Let me just jog my memory. The Grenfell effigy, um, effigy when the people yeah. built that horrible um, 
what was it called? What was it? The poster, not the poster, but the um, was it replica. The, yeah, replica. Yes, of the building and set that on fire. And I feel like people just kind of brushed it off. There's other instances where I feel like people are not really being held to the same standard. You feel like that's the case? I'll put that forward to Rahana first. I mean, there is certainly, um, when we go out into the community, mm. there's certainly that mood. When we talk to our young people, mm -hmm. there's certainly um, that mood. Um, and it, it, I think it just goes again to the back to the normalization of it. Mm -hmm. We're not shocked by that kind of mm. language. We're not, we're not as shocked by, I mean, I think the Grenfell one is, is probably not the best example of that, but when, I mean, there are constantly, you know, I can watch the TV, read the newspaper every day where there's these constantly racist tropes about Muslims that are being pushed mm -hmm. and they're just normal. It's just quite, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things that we dismiss them and that we, you know, that they've become part of the fabric mm -hmm. of, of our nation. Yeah. You know, Muslim men are, are misogynistic, mm -hmm. they're terrorists, they're rapists. Mm. This is just how Muslim men are depicted. Mm. Muslim women are the wives of terrorists mm. or they are, as our former prime minister called us, traditionally submissive. You know, we, our whole lives have become these tropes mm -hmm. and those tropes have just become very, very normal to the extent that when we hear them, they are... Um, that they're not challenged. And I think there was a really important point made earlier about um, where some of these comments are coming from and the mm -hmm. mention of Boris Johnson mm -hmm. is that they are coming right from the very from the top. top. Yeah. And the, the, the uh, and therein, I suppose, lies the other problem for us mm -hmm. is the... I mean, th there's often this contrast made about in this discussion about the calling out of anti-Semitism in Labour mm. and Islamophobia in the Tory party. And actually, I think there's absolutely a case to answer mm -hmm. for anti-Semitism in Labour and across across the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. But there is not the same impetus to respond to calls about Islamophobia mm -hmm. within um within the Tory party, even on a very personal level here in Luton, mm -hmm. I wrote to our local Tory party three times to ask um, or to, to, to draw their attention to the hosting of a far-right extremist, Hapan Ghosh by Bob Blackman, mm -hmm. in Parliament. I didn't even get a response. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, it didn't even want a response. So there, there are all sorts of problems here about which voices matter, mm. how people are held to account, and the... And that very, that feeling within our community that there is not an equal playing field here. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank I mean, you. I would draw the case of uh, of Darren Osborne, mm -hmm. where it was directly linked from the pages of Tommy Robinson that inspired him to carry out those acts. Yeah. yeah. I do not believe if a Muslim name had inspired someone to do it and they were a British subject, that they wouldn't be brought to Brook for that. Mm -hmm. um, I think they would be in prison. Yeah. And I, I think the the idea they wouldn't certainly wouldn't have had the, somebody like Tommy Robinson technically they would they strip him of his citizenship mm. for crimes of inspiring me. He's spent his entire fifth, last ten years of my organisation's experience of trying to terrorise communities. Mm. I'm pretty but, sure that uh, Stephen Lennon is a dual national. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm sure as well, but I'm, I don't believe for one moment that what would come up if he's found guilty of anything mm -hmm. that he's citizens should be revoked because I don't believe, I think the narrative is so poisonous that that's possible to, I think it would happen to a black or Muslim, mm -hmm. um, to the Muslim community, that would happen to them. Mm -hmm. Whereas we know this, the Jamaican flights taking place mm. for people found um, um, committing a crime 10 or 15 years ago, which is relatively drunk, you know, driving while drunk or something mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. which is not something we all want. But nevertheless, the sanction and the treatment and the way that people are treated in a hostile way is a, is, is a reflection of this. And I, I think that um, we said, uh, to be honest, that one of the impacts actually is the destruction of democracy. Joe Cox was murdered by people like this. The person that blew up the Norwegian um, parliament mm -hmm. and killed the children there was a consequence of the allowing of rampant Islamophobia to grow. Mm -hmm. it, it's true that it's used to attack the Muslim community, but in the end, it also destroys the democratic foundations 
of of our of our society and refusal to acknowledge and and push this back i think is is very dangerous and mm. i think what's happened in um to be honest the tragedy that happened inside um um or in christchurch mm. is predicted because of the the level of poison that's allowed mm-hmm. if where somebody can actually begin to feel they have a right to do this yeah and that's we're not saying it hasn't changed in terms of the way that some racists, actually racists now, so they're not racist. Mm, mm. They try to self-define that. Mm-hmm. Not the experience of people. They try to um, uh, define their friends was had a hijab ripped off in a fish and chip shop. Mm-hmm. How how much more do you have to prove that you're part of society? She's attacked in on, on, on that basis. And to be honest, it wasn't even registered to the police. When we call the police... They actually did refuse to register it mm-hmm. as uh, Islamophobic or racist attack. Mm-hmm. We had to say he, he said that the, the the police officer said we're not sure how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm just sorry. I'm just going to stop you there, Mr. Bennett. Yeah, Please yeah. keep your thoughts, and we'll come back yeah. after the break. Just a short break. Yeah. Yeah. Friday Night Live. I compromise my beliefs. I don't want to go to the pub and drink. My wife doesn't want to wear a miniskirt. My wife doesn't want to take her hijab off. You know what? I love this society. I love being British. But at the same time, why don't they love us in return? Join in the conversation with me, Abdel Akbar, and my guests every Fridays from 6pm. Hello and welcome back to Inspire FM, um, the Ask Your Lawyer segment. My name is Esther Lassahinde from Liberty Law Solicitors. And today we have been discussing about the New Zealand terrorist attack. Um, I have in the studio with me, Rahana Fassel. Rahana, would you like to say hello? Assalamualaikum. <laughs> and online we've had Wayman Bennett um, of Stand Up to Racism UK, Andrew Taylor of Church Court Chambers, and we've just have in now Safina Khan of MK Solicitors. Hello to you all. Thank you for calling in. Hello. Thank you. Um, and we just, Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay, so just moving on. Before the break, we were discussing about um, the criminal threshold and apologies to Mr. Bennett. We cut you off because um, we had to go to the breaks. But would you like to finish off what you were saying regarding the criminal threshold? I think there's a, a double standard. I think that um, the way that prevent works, I've mm-hmm. had very good friends accused of things which they're totally innocent mm. of. And it seems that they're proven guilty before. Um, um, it's, it's actually it's actually possible in this country at the moment mm-hmm. to, um, to 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 have people removed from this country based on uh, unseen evidence. Yeah. Um, and that's not that's not the kind of evidence that's directed towards the far right, despite the fact that they put their stuff online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to pose a question um, to Safina Khan. Safina, are you there? Hi, Assalamu alaikum. Hi, Safina. How are you? I'm okay, not bad. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I just wanted to um, pose this question because we had um, the Senate, I believe, of New Zealand made quite a very disrespectful and I wouldn't even say bad timing because what he even said was incorrect. But he basically blamed the victims um and basically said that it's an immigration issue. Now, I believe you deal with immigration, um, you're an immigration solicitor, is that correct? That's correct. How do we now, dis- I mean, obviously, what's your thoughts on that, him blaming immigration on on the whole it's, matter? It's ridiculous, um, to the point that the Geneva Convention allows um people to travel to other countries and claim asylum. Mm -hmm. These are individuals who uh, fear uh, persecution um, and go and seek refuge. Mm -hmm. How can these people be blamed for the actions that took place on that Juma morning? Yeah. Um, These individuals, most of them, I mean, a young three-year-old boy was one of the youngest victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, His family uh, was from Somalia. Uh, you know, the, the fact that they were from refugee backgrounds or migrant backgrounds or minori- minorities. When the New Zealand Prime Minister herself says that these people are welcome to New Zealand, mm-hmm. I mean, New Zealand has a different uh, approach, a different system, a different attitude to mm-hmm. migration. Australia is welcoming as well, but there is a lot, a lot of white supremacy 
in Australia where people feel that, hang on, you know, we shouldn't be allowed, uh, certain people shouldn't be allowed into their countries. Migration is a problem. They're going to take their jobs. You often hear, you know, the EDL say our jobs are taken. Hang on, get up, go mm-hmm. get a job. No mm-hmm. one's taking your job. There are vacancies. The, the thing is that when, when certain Asian uh, subcontinents and some people from the Commonwealth were needed, our mm-hmm. great-grandfathers, fathers were brought in for the purpose that they needed people to work in the UK. Yes. And now the economy is back up. Uh, I wouldn't say it's completely thriving. You know, we're told that go back, go back to where you come from. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a problem. Hang on. Well, the Commonwealth was created by who? Exactly. And yeah. why? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of arguments that can go back and forth. But the one thing I, I want to I say that immigration is definitely not the problem. Mm-hmm. The fact is that that was terrorism that took place. And the definition of terrorism, you know, there is no universal definition, but it says it's the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, mm-hmm. of political or religious aims. What needs to happen is that anyone with white supremacist views should be, and, and who uh, argues such points, should be part under the definition of a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. These forums, these websites should be banned. Mm-hmm. Anyone taking part in these, uh, these thoughts and views, because the, the gunman clearly ha- had these views. His online bloggings, his manifesto, it all explained what his views are behind and everything. And I just want to say hats off to hashtag Eggboy. <laughs> I think he's the bravest 17-year-old um, ever. Mm-hmm. And I think a dozen eggs uh, were needed, but the one egg did the trick. <laughs> but again, Senator Fraser hasn't learned. He still says, you know, freedom of speech. Mm. Where is that? Where is that barrier? Where is that stop point of freedom of speech when mm-hmm. it becomes religious hatred mm-hmm. or it causes um, people of a certain society or racial background or religious background to become victims of terrorist attacks where it eggs on people who maybe lack education. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always this argument that this was a lone individual, an individual with some sort of mental health problems, you know. It's always as a mental health problem. As soon as it's a Muslim individual, mm-hmm. the word terrorism comes in straight away. Mm-hmm. You know, the religious views come in. You know, there's arguments, you know, even in Senator, uh, Senator Fraser Anning, from what he said, he, he uses, he quoted Matthew, you know, those who raise the sword will be dealt with by the sword. Uh, I'm, that might not be uh, the exact quote, but mm. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Islam is a religion of peace. Yeah. It's a religion of love and unity. And as Muslims, from the Muslim community, from what views I've heard and a lot of discussions that we've had, you know, we want to pray for the victims who, who we don't believe were murdered. We believe that they were shaheed. Mm-hmm. So we believe that they've had, you know, a, a beautiful death. And mm-hmm. we, we, we take peace in that. Our mm-hmm. heart takes peace in that. It's sadness of what's happened to them. But the positivity that has come out, for example, there was an individual in Manchester who stood outside a mosque and said, you know, you're my brothers, you pray and I will protect you. Mm. One individual doing that. You know, the interest in Islam, a lot of people are researching to find out what Islam is about. Because yeah. people on a Friday, a Friday prayer, you know, people such as elderly, retired people who aren't, who aren't working or are working young individuals go there and they wait for the khutbah. And the khutbah is where you have the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And these people are waiting to learn, you know, to be educated, to, mm. be, to be taken a point. And some of these points are not, not all about Islam. They're about worldly affairs, how to treat your neighbor, how to treat people mm-hmm. from other countries and, you know, circumstances and political problems in the world, you know, just to address issues across the world globally, they get addressed in the khutbah where people are suffering in the world, there's prayers for them, there's remembrance of God. So it's a peaceful gathering. These were unarmed, you know, civilians who who, uh, who were targeted in such a way. Yeah. Thank you. And I just wanted to, you said, um, you mentioned about freedom of speech. Um, and I wanted to bring Andrew Taylor in again and just ask your opinion in regards to, do you feel like there is a great area? Because how far can... Um, the media and individuals use freedom of speech to now spew hate speech and hate crime? Well, I think this is the problem that I discussed a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, it's all really well to say um, most of the news channels, indeed, you know, this program now, you mm-hmm. would not tolerate somebody coming on here and espousing racist or aggressive or violent means. You mm-hmm. simply wouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, most of our news outlets in this country mm-hmm. are very carefully edited and controlled, but the great problem I see, and it's a growing problem, are the people who can put stuff out there, streaming via the internet, 
Uh, and of course, some of these big agencies, I'm talking now about uh, the YouTubes, the Facebooks, these multinational corporations, mm -hmm. they make millions, if not billions of pounds every year. And yet they do very little to try and curtail people who put out messages of hate. Mm -hmm. And I think we must stop that sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. There are many, many young, vulnerable, impressionable people out there who might, on their own, do absolutely nothing. But once that seed is sown in their mind, then, of course, they suddenly become uh, totally different people. And, of course, they then become involved in probably race-hate offences that they would not have become involved in had they not been able to see this type of material via the Internet. Mm -hmm. It's a huge problem. I fear unless we do something about it, the problem is going to become far worse. Mm -hmm. And yes, like you was. Can I add one quick thing? Yes, sure, Sorry. Mr. Bennett. Yeah, the, the, the murderer inside um, New Zealand was an immigrant himself. He came from Australia. Mm. And he sees no contrast in the fact, not that he hasn't got a right to be there, mm. but it, it tells you how twisted uh, the, the, the thing is in terms of the way that people are presented, that he cannot see that he's the himself. person who's the outsider mm. because he's a racial supremacist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think touching on that point, the, the, the fact is that he takes the advantage of the color of his skin to allow him to travel freely. There's always this conception that people from majority, shall I say, white countries, uh, you know, are allowed to enter the UK on, say, for example, a tourist visa. They, for example, from America, from Australia, countries like this, you can mm -hmm. come to the border and get granted. Whereas if you're from subcontinents and, you know, even Commonwealth countries, you have to make an application. There is a, a, a trend of shall I say, um, racial discrimination uh, towards these countries and the migrants in terms of uh, applying. And it could be that, you know, the, the UK has the right to control its borders, which I respect. Mm -hmm. However, you know, when individuals are allowed to process these views, and like you said quite rightly, there's a lot of vulnerable people out there. I, I can't quote how many times I've been you know, dressed by my, uh, sorry, being um, addressed by my dress code, for example, people will look at me and say, oh, when I'm wearing the abaya, would think, oh, she's an oppressed woman, mm. you know. I've had comments like, you know, gosh, let's see how many tax credits she receives, mm. you know, comments like this. It wasn't, uh, it was only last week in the Luton and Dunstable Hospital, I, I faced some sort of uh, racial comments, which I did give a, a perfect, a reasonable response to. It's quite a kind response. Mm. But this isn't the first time where racism is there. When you've got people like Boris Johnson, who who makes these comments, and, these are, and they're all plastered across the media, young individuals who, who lack education or lack confidence or who are struggling to find a job think, you know what? The reason I can't find a job is because, uh, you know, all the brown people have them, you know, all the migrants have them. How about these individuals are actually British citizens? They've worked harder, they've, you know, achieved GCSEs and they've secured a position or they've gone out rightly and, you know, got jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this, this ideology of uh, migrants taking everything, it needs to stop. And it's all a political game. It starts with the politicians because when the election comes up, they like to show how many people they've deported, mm -hmm. how many people they've stopped from coming into the UK. When in fact, migrants in this country are no longer allowed to claim any benefits. Mm -hmm. So even when they do regularize their status, there will be a no recourse to public funds. What that means is they're not entitled to child tax credit, working tax credit, child benefit, yeah. or, you know, all of these benefits that individuals think that they claim. They don't receive housing benefit. Mm -hmm. You know, migrants in this country are not even allowed to rent properties if they're in the UK illegally. So this conception of, you know, um, that they're taking everything from us and, you know, let's blame them. And even if that was the case, would that action that took place on Friday justify that? Not at all, yeah. Because also, you're going to okay. cleanse the society, sorry, of um, yeah. migrants and sorry. people. Yeah. You won't be doing anything different to what Hitler did. Mm -hmm. Also, the profound ignorance as well that you face. Um, when you speak of different words, um, for instance, I was on a, on a so-called serious news radio program where they talked about we're against jihad. And I said to them, when I grew up in school, we used to talk about this all the time mm. as a school child because I had lots of friends, and it's about personal struggle, all kind of different meanings. But people simply have a very, very narrow view of the Muslim community mm -hmm. and try and put them in a very small box. And that wasn't coming from people just ignorant on the street or some thug. That mm -hmm. was coming from 
Oxbridge, well-trained people that have very narrow views of different parts of the community and are in powerful positions and carry on perpetrating this narrow view that justifies what happens. And I think we have to fight on several different levels if we're going to push this back, that people begin to actually lift some of their ignorance, mm. but also understand how much that feeds into a negative narrative and how difficult it is to, um, uh, you know, to break that down if um, in all parts of our society it's justified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Rahan, I believe that you wanted to just... Yeah, I just, I just wanted to make a, a, a couple of points. Um, one is this, I understand what Andrew is saying about people... Um, the, the power of the impact mm-hmm. of the internet, mm-hmm. the impact is particularly on, I would say, young people. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to be said about what's happening online um, and what we do about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to, in that discourse, deny the responsibility held mm-hmm. by people sitting in positions of power mm-hmm. to disseminate these really harmful narratives. Mm-hmm. So... I know Andrew made the point about actually most of our media organisations are very responsible. They're not. Mm. Leveson found in his inquiry, and lots of people think Leveson was about kind of, you know, phone tapping and these kind mm. of things, but they, they looked at the representation of minority communities, particularly Muslims. The, the overwhelming picture of Muslims through our newspapers mm. is negative. Yeah. Leveson found that, that a huge, I don't have the numbers with me at the moment, but a huge number, the majority of headlines, newspaper articles about Muslims mm-hmm. were, were negative. Not only that they were negative, that often they were, they were written in a way that wasn't entirely untrue. Mm. In many cases, there were complete fabrications mm-hmm. or that their, um, their their Muslim heritage was indicated in a new story, even when it wasn't particularly relevant. Mm. And we see that all the time. Yeah. Um, so that there is a huge amount of responsibility that these organisations have to take. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the night, the night that 51 Muslims were butchered whilst they stood for prayer, our state... Our state TV mm-hmm. um, that the BBC mm-hmm. had on their flagship news programme the leader of uh, the far-right organisation called Generation Identity. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's responsible mm-hmm. broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's decent broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think that's that's offensive broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as much as I, as I say, acknowledge what's happening online... Where do these stories come from? Who yeah. is pushing the direction of travel? Mm-hmm. We can sit and prosecute little men sitting in there, and it's often men. Um, it's not me being uh, um, <laughs> me being sort of anti-men there, but we're not just you know. It's all very well us going after men sitting in their bedrooms, kind of tapping away at their their keyboards. Mm-hmm. But there are some people with lots of power, lots of money, who are pushing these narratives, mm-hmm. and they need to be held to account. Um, do we have any interjections or any comments before we move on? No? I think yep, the sorry. positivity, sorry, I think the positivity from the situation needs to be taken out. I think, uh, you know, positive things need to be posted out. And, for example, when individuals are told about negative things uh, about Islam, they should be told about the positive things, such as algebra, mm. you know, the Muslim contribution to the world in science, in geography, ge- geometry, astronomy, mm-hmm. you know. So, Safina, can I, can, I, can I interrupt yeah. you? I get all of that. But I don't, I just wonder, are we doing ourselves a disservice? Do we need to, as a Muslim, each one of you, I don't know very much about any other people on the phone. I don't know very much about Esther, but you're human beings. And actually, we don't need to rationalise your place on the world or make you worthy of compassion, worthy of our place in the world. If you bring me nothing, if we have refugees crossing the oceans, barefoot, hungry, starving, useless, nothing to give you, we will. St- I will still love you. And and for, 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 as a Muslim, that's to the very core of who I am. But actually, as a nation, this is what we tell ourselves. Mm. This, is the, this is the kind of story that we want to tell the world about us, is that we are this inclusive nations, nation that welcomes people. I'm just calling for people to live that. Let's live that. Let's be an inclusive place. Mm-hmm. I think with today's society, with everything that's happened, with ISIS, with Daesh, with all of these kind of things, and obviously with the media and everything being spread out on platforms, Islam is not being portrayed in a positive light. And as a Muslim, I feel that it's a duty upon us 
to educate everyone in the world. And the Prophet Muhammad wanted us to spread love, peace, and unity. And if we educate individuals, for example, when I have a conversation with any of my friends, I don't care what the religion is, but when we do talk about it and we talk about Islam and the topic does come up, I always say to them, do you know that we believe in Virgin Mary? You know, do you know we believe in that Jesus walked water? Mm -hmm. Do you know we believed in this as well? And then they're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. You know, the only view that they had of Islam was jihad, terrorism, and whatever they saw on ISIS. You know, when do you see positive programs about, unless they're going to tune on to Islam channel, it's not going to happen. So we as individuals, we as believers should, you know, do what, Sometimes what Jehovah's Witnesses do, they go around, they educate, we should give dava, we should... I'm not entirely sure that there's there's masses of people with really positive opinions about Jehovah's Witnesses. Mostly on my road, I see people slamming the doors in their faces. But what what, what I will say, I I think there is always a a need and, um, you know, as far as living our faith is concerned, that's always really important. But, but But I think it's... But equally important to remember that racism doesn't come... Racism is a form of ignorance, but it's not rooted in that. It's rooted in notions of superiority. It's rooted in the notions that some people are better than others, that some people are intrinsically better than others. That's where the idea of white supremacy comes from. If we look at the people who propagate these ideas, these are not uneducated people who don't know better. I think that's letting them off the hook a little bit. People like you know, I don't even want to name them. Mm -hmm. But there are people out there who are pushing these ideas. And it's not because they don't know better. It's not because they don't understand our values. It's because they think that they are better than us. Mm -hmm. They they think that we are not as good as them. They want to depict us as subhuman. And they will carry on doing that. And I think, yes, you know, on a community level, we do quite lots of, quite, quite, you know, um, relational work with other people you know we want to build bridges we want to you know that's part of us living our faith but I don't want that conflated with the responsibility of countering Islamophobia to rest at the door of the victims the responsibility of ridding us of Islamophobia is not with victims mm-hmm. I, I think one other thing that we have to recognize in the shift change is that there are political organizations getting to a place of power mm-hmm. yes. Pen, Victor Orban what's happening inside the Netherlands, what's happening with the AFD. Um, And I I think we have to understand why this is an actual visual danger to us. And that means um, they're organizing on that principle. Um, That's what UKIP are doing. And if they get into any kind of political power or office, it further legitimates this. That's the reason why I think we have to be more organized and why we have to have a strategy of making sure that those people are not just treated as a normal part of of of, of, of politics. After all, when 20,000 people march in London mm. and say that they want to kill Muslims, I don't think we should just see that as a normal kind of every, you know, like it's one of the things if we present ourselves in the right mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. that that will change it. I actually think we have to shift further into building mass resistance against that and not allowing that to be uh, uh, to be normal because I think the media are treating these people as, as being normal. In fact, one lord invited Tom Robinson to come to the House of Lords yeah. and say that he's been treated as a normal. I actually think this is quite a dangerous period mm-hmm. uh, uh, for I... people. And, and so, and so, uh, Sorry, I'll stop. Sorry, could I just add something there with what you just said, you know, regarding the march in London? You know, when, when marches are organized and there's going to be a protest or there's going to be, you know, uh, someone's going to dem- do a demonstration, they normally make an application to the council, you know, uh, and then the council approves it and they see what policing and everything is needed. If an individual made it, um, said that they want to march through London and say that, you know, people from the Jewish faith or the Christian faith should be killed or, you know, we should have these faiths, I don't think those marches would ever be given permission to go ahead. These marches where ED members have shown to given racism and given death threats and Islamophobia and you know uh, you know even even their English is, is appalling you know um, but the fact that they they've given that platform mm-hmm. the government is to be blamed for that mm-hmm. and it's all because it's all because of the elections the votes you know they wanted they, they want to get votes. Boris Johnson, why do you think he does it? He wants to appeal to those platforms of people. He knows that there is this growing problem. It's a disease, you know, and it's growing in our society. And what they do is they add more fuel to the fire by throwing these comments and showing, look, hi, 
guess what? I'm against Islam, mm. and you know what? Vote for me, and and that's what it is. And, and it, uh, actually, yeah. it's not unusual. I mean, you know, for in times of um, kind of economic downturn, mm-hmm. it's actually not unusual for this kind of you know baiting of communities against each other. It's not unusual for these kind of narratives to come, you know, to, to come about again. You know, we we don't seem to learn the lessons of history, but this has happened time and time again. Mm. That when there's that, it, it's a, it's an ideal time that when people are feeling kind of you know um, you know poverty does things to you and we know we've had many many years of austerity in this country um, you know that people are more susceptible to those sorts of um, narratives mm-hmm. I, I think we also sorry we should look at the order of how they're doing it mm-hmm. Victor Orban banned halal meat and then he banned kosher meat in other words he used the weight of Islamophobia to push in further racism and further attacks on uh, refugees. And that is usually the road that's being pushed now inside Europe mm-hmm. because Islamophobia seems as more acceptable mm-hmm. than yeah. if you openly said, I'm against black people, I'm against... Um, it's I'm a legitimized form of racism. It's a legitimized form of racism, which is opening up all the other forms of racism. Mm-hmm. And unless we understand why we have to join against all of them and see it as a serious thing, then I think the danger is, as you said... History can repeat itself, but with different targets. Mm-hmm. And I, just I think what needs to be made clear to the world is that mm-hmm. no matter what colour your skin is or who you are, um, you know, whether you're white or black, there shouldn't be no difference there. And, you know, people expect and this whole argument of white supremacy, again, it should become a terrorist organisation. It shouldn't be allowed. People who think that they should have more advantages than other people because of the colour of their skin, come on. You know, we're, we're, we're in 2019. Surely that view should not be allowed to exist. Mm-hmm. So, Fina, that, that, that view is still being debated in our universities. This, this is the thing. This is still being put forward by very mainstream academics, newspapers, um, academics and newspapers, that there, that there is a biological difference between human beings based on our skin colour. Mm-hmm. I just want to interject because we don't have that much left um um long left but um i just want to thank everybody for joining today's show and just very quickly and very briefly um if andrew taylor if you could just because you said earlier on the show that we've come a long way how long do you think it will take us now to you know get rid of this agenda just very very briefly (laughs) i i i i i'm not I'm not an optimist when it comes to saying <laughs> mm. that the whole agenda is mm. going to go because, of course, we all know that it's got to be done in a way that's multifaceted. It starts in the schools, yeah. it starts with education, mm-hmm. it starts with young people, mm-hmm. it starts with the way in which we educate our children, not just in school, but in the home. Okay, the I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to have to stop you there. This is the end of our show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.